In Jesus' name we pray. God has just told us that he is going to do something new in our lives. And he didn't stop there. He said, I have begun it already. So you don't have to wait for it. It's already happening. So let's just say, thank you, Father, because it is you who is doing something new in our life. Today, Father God, what you have started, let it not stop. Let it be ongoing. Father, as you speak, we listen, Lord Father. And as we listen, Father, I pray, Lord, that you will activate that which you want us to do. So that we will not just be hearers of the word, Lord Father. But we will indeed be doers of your word, Lord Father. Father God, where there are hearts of stone, change it into hearts of flesh, Lord Father. Where there are scales in front of our eyes, remove those scales, Lord Father. Father God, it is you who is doing something new in our life, Lord Father. But Father God, what do you want of us, Lord Father? Help me to be obedient to your word, Lord Father. Because throughout history, that's the only thing you have wanted. Father God, help each one of us here, Lord Father, to be obedient to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's take our seats, please. And as you take your seats, please turn to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 13. And we will read verses 1 to 11. Jeremiah chapter 13, first 11 verses. And today I have chosen to take the reading from the New Living Translation, NLT. This is what the Lord said to me. Go and buy a linen loincloth and put it on, but do not wash it. So I bought the River. Hide it there in a hole in the rocks. So I went and hid it by the Euphrates as the Lord instructed me. A long time afterwards, the Lord said to me, Go back to the Euphrates and get the loincloth I told you to hide there. So I went to the Euphrates and dug it out of the hole where I had hidden it, but now it was rotting and falling apart. The loincloth was good for nothing. Then I received this message from the Lord. This is what the Lord says. This shows how I will rot away the pride of Judah and Jerusalem. These wicked people refuse to listen to me. They stubbornly follow their own desires and worship other gods. Therefore, they will become like, like this loincloth, good for nothing. As a loincloth clings to a man's waist, so I created Judah and Israel to cling to me, says the Lord. They were to be my people, my pride, my glory, and honor to my name, but they would not listen to me. We'll come back to that portion of scripture, but let's also turn to the book of 1 Peter, chapter 2, verse 9. A verse which we should be very familiar with by now. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you may show forth the praise of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now let's just look at these two passages of scripture that we have got. In First Peter chapter 2, verse 9, we are called a chosen generation. We are called a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. Okay, now we are all of that. In Jeremiah chapter 13, the people of God are described as a linen loincloth. A linen loincloth tied around the waist of God. They are so close to him. 
And yet from that passage we know that they have chosen not to hear him. That's what verse 11 says. They have chosen not to hear him, even though they are there right on the waist of God. And like that linen loincloth, the people of God had become useless and worthless. Now ask yourself this question. Am I a chosen generation? Or am I a useless loincloth? That's the question you and I need to answer today. Am I a chosen generation? Am I a useless loincloth? Are you a person called out of darkness into his marvelous light? Are you a person calling other people out of darkness into his marvelous light? That was the task which was given to Paul, and that is the task which has been given to you and to me today. In Acts chapter 26, verse 18, Paul is told, what's, what's he supposed to do? To open their eyes in order to turn them away from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. See, that was the task given to Paul. That was his purpose. Now today, Paul is no longer there. But we are the people of the church. And that is the task that's been given to us. To go out there, to open their eyes, in order to turn them from darkness to light. And from the power of Satan to God. Are we doing that? Are we doing that today? You see, as I was reading this passage, a thought that came to me simply is this. We are now in a generation of selfishness. It's all about what do I get. It's all about me. When I go out in the world, what do I get? What's in it for me? God never told us about us. He didn't say anything about me. What has he told us? Go out there to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. That's my task. Is there anything in it for me? I don't know. But that's my task. And that's what I'm asking. Are we doing that today? Or is it all about selfies? Is the camera focused on you and you alone? Twenty years back when I started using cameras, the lens of the camera was focused on others. Today the lens of the camera is turned around. It's purely focused on me when I hold the camera. Is that the purpose of a camera? I don't know. These are thoughts that we need to answer today. And therefore, it leads us to the title of today's message, which is simply called, Called for a Purpose. And that's what I'm going to be talking about. Called for a Purpose. Now let me ask you a question at this point of time. How many of you believe, and I need to see hands if you actually believe, how many of you believe that God placed you here with a purpose? That's quite a few hands, and that's good. The second question that follows, and again I need to see a show of hands if you believe it. How many of you believe that you are accomplishing that purpose? Much less. So many of you believe that you have been called for a purpose, but many of you agree that you are not accomplishing that purpose. There are few of you who are accomplishing that purpose. Now, assume that you have been appointed or contracted to a job. And many of us have got jobs. We work on contract basis. We work with various systems. Uh, 
and I have a task to do. Now, what happens if I don't do that task? What, if, what happens if at the end of the year, at my annual appraisal, I don't reach the standards that are required of me? I'm dismissed. I'm thrown out. I'm sacked. You know, that's something we face all the time. And therefore, in our secular jobs, we always work hard enough to reach that qualifying standards. We may not work so hard that we reach the top. Okay. But we, reach, we work hard enough to reach that standard by which we are not dismissed. But now the question comes back, God has given you and me a task. And you and me know what that task is. And you and me, we have just said right now that we know that we are here for a purpose. But we are not accomplishing that purpose. So what's the result? You and I need to be dismissed. Thrown out. We cannot hold on to the fact that I am born again, therefore my place in heaven is reserved. I am going to sit on the third seat from God on the right. No. God's given you a task. You haven't done it. I haven't done it. What's the result? God says, I'm the employer. Out. I'm going to get somebody else. Okay, we are called for a purpose. Let's be careful. In the book of Esther, we read what happened to Queen Vashti. She was called by the king to serve the guests. You know that story. She refused to obey. She was thrown out. We're not talking about a maid, we talk about Queen Vashti. She disobeyed the king. She was thrown out. Place yourself in the position of Queen Vashti. You are called by God, our creator, for a purpose. Now, are you responding to God's call or are you refusing to do so? And I'm sensitive to the fact that there are many young people here. You pay attention. It's your generation which has got to face the world next. We're done. We're ready to go. But you are the guys, the young people. You've got the world ahead of you. Are you called? Do you know that you are called? And if you are called, you are called with a purpose. You are called for a purpose. Let's go ahead. Now some of you actually may be thinking at this point, I can't be thrown out. I am born again. I have given my life to Christ. I have accepted Him. I may not get all the crowns that are available in heaven, but I am born again, therefore I have got a place in heaven. Now let me warn you that that isn't actually so. Just turn with me to the book of John, chapter 15, verse 2. And again, this is a passage we all know very well. And very often, we just go through it. I am the true wine. And my father is the wine dresser. Verse 1. Okay? Now every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Every branch in me. Every branch that is already in Christ that does not bear fruit, he takes away. You and I may be in Christ, but if we are doing nothing about it, that's a dangerous stand. Because it clearly says that every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. 
So if you aren't accomplishing the purposes for which God has placed you in a place, whatever be your age, you are at risk of being taken away. So we can't take our salvation for granted. We can't assume for a minute that having accepted Christ, I don't have to do anything else. Having accepted Christ means you have joined his army. And if you are in an army, you march. You don't sit down. The army, even during non-war time, peaceful times, has to be marching all the time. They have to be doing something all the time. They don't sit back. And therefore, if you are in Christ, but you aren't bearing fruit, you are at risk of being thrown out. So the key question to answer is this. Are you bearing fruit for the Lord? Or are you a fruitless branch? Are you responding to God's call and doing what He has purposed in your life? Or are you doing whatever you think that you need to do? Probably propagating and highlighting your own name in the process. The question really is, are you accomplishing God's purpose? Now remember this. You are not here by accident. You are not here by chance. You are not here because you had nowhere else to go. You are here because God purposed it so. And if you don't think so, just read Acts chapter 17, verse 26. Acts 17, 26 states, states this, And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and boundaries of their dwellings. So you are here because God has purposed it so. The Bible clearly tells us that God has planned our days perfectly. We are where God wants us to be. And where He wants us to be is where He wants His purposes to be fulfilled. So then comes the next question. If there is a purpose that needs to be fulfilled, what is it? I don't know what it is. Is there a purpose? What is it? In Isaiah chapter 43, verse 1, the Lord says, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. And then in the same chapter, verse 10, the Lord continues, You are my witnesses. You are my witnesses. And therefore, that simply means that the Lord has called you and me to be His witnesses. You and I are to be witnesses in this land or wherever God takes us. Some of you will be moving shortly. Where you go, you are a witness. You may think that you are going for a task that you have planned in your mind. But God has a greater purpose than that. Wherever you go, you are a witness. In fact, this issue of being a witness is so important that Jesus Christ says it throughout the Gospels. Matthew chapter 28, 19 and 20, go teach, make disciples. Mark 16, 15, go and preach the Gospel. Luke 24, verse 47, preach to all nations. John 20, 21, as the Father send me, sent me, I send you. And again in the book of Acts, Acts 1 verse 8, You shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. So it's been repeatedly mentioned in the four Gospels and in the book of Acts, which is all about the church, that that's the task that you and I need to accomplish. There may be subtasks, there may be other things that each of us are called to do. 
But this is a universal task to anybody who says that he or she is in Christ. You and I are witnesses, and as we witness, we bear fruit for Christ. Now I tried to find out what is the meaning of this word witness. And I realized that the dictionary definition, the English dictionary definition, is slightly at variance with what the Bible says. Okay? The English dictionary defines witness as one who sees something and talks about it to a higher authority. Okay? You witness a crime, you talk about it to a higher authority. You may be called to court as a witness because you have seen. It's not hearsay. It's not something that you have heard about, but it's something that you have seen and so you become a witness. You may become a witness for the prosecution or you may be a witness for the defense. But based on something that you have seen, you talk about it to a higher authority. That's the definition that you get in most dictionaries. Okay? But the biblical definition is somewhat different. It is one who sees something or knows something and does something about that knowledge. It's not just talk about it. You see, what I'm doing right now is just talking. But God does not want us to be talkers. He wants us to be doers. And that's the difference between the standard meaning of witness and the biblical meaning. Because the biblical meaning is you see something. You know something. You go and do something about it. Okay? So... Let's try to find out what that's all about. Now let's go back to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 13. Now God has taught us and trained us over many years. God saved us. But where are we? Are we burying the talents that God has put within us? Or are we using it the way God intended it to be used? You see, in verse 1 of Jeremiah chapter 13, God talks about a linen loincloth. Linen was a material specially meant for the priests. And according to 1 Peter, you are a royal priesthood. So you cannot say that it's not about me. Because linen is meant for the priests. And according to the New Testament, every one of us is a priest. And I went to the Bible and I said, okay, is there a particular cut-off age? At what age can you be a priest? And at what age can you stop being a priest? No age. Every age is royal priesthood. So young people, you are royal priesthood. Old people... You haven't retired. You're still royal priesthood. So, verse 1. God talks about the linen loincloth. Loincloth was a material for the priests. A loincloth is not casually dripped on a person. It is tied. See, in verse 10 and 11, that's what we see. It is tied by the wearer around his waist. God has chosen to put you around himself. He wants you for himself on for, for his purposes. He keeps you as close as possible to the bosom of his heart. He doesn't want you at arm's length. He wants you with himself. He's putting you around himself. That's how close God wants you to be with him. And you see, in the first verse, it also says that, put on that linen loincloth, but do not wash it. Okay, what does that signify? It simply means God takes us as we are. God doesn't want to purify you first before he starts using you. God doesn't want to say, that person is a sinner, I've got to make this person clean first, and then I will start using the person. No. 
God takes you and me as we are, with our faults, with our difficulties, with our limitations. It doesn't matter. God takes us as we are. He doesn't want us to be cleaned first before he can touch us. He says, take the cloth as it is and put it around yourself. Okay, verse 1. In verse 4, the linen loin cloth is hidden in a hole in the rocks. This indicates the area you live in. It symbolizes your mixing with the people around the places you are in. Okay, you're taken off from there, from God's waste, and now you are put, hidden in the rocks. You are along with a lot of other people. And there is the waters of the Euphrates flowing in that area. Water is a diluent. You see, that's what you see in verse 4 and 5. You see the effect of water. Water is a diluent. It rots the loincloth. It, water dilutes your high spiritual standards. Okay, or rather, the things around you, which act as the diluents, they dilute your high spiritual standards. Many of us, when we accepted Christ, we declared, I will do this, this, this. I will not do this, I will not do this, I will not do this. We set high spiritual standards for those around to hear and see. But as days have gone by, we have forgotten those standards that we have set. We have diluted it with things of the world. By a process of osmosis, Things around us have has diffused into us. Our thinking has become diffused with the principles of the world. Our thinking is not based on the principles of God. Our thinking has become Samaritan-like, if you wish. They mixed with those they shouldn't have mixed with. And that's what many of us have become over, over time. Okay? So water has, had, had diluted, had come and spoiled that loincloth. But God is telling us that our spiritual standards are being compromised as we mix with the world around. Okay. What should actually happen is, you should influence the world around you. Instead, the world around you is influencing you. See, that's, the, that's what we need to be looking at. Our standards are compromised. And as our standards are being compromised, we become useless and worthless to God. So when that loincloth was taken out from the place in the rocks, it was no longer a loincloth. It was useless. It was worthless. And today, is that what we are? Look back on those years when you first accepted Christ. Look back on the statements you made. Look back on the lifestyle you led at that point of time. In the immediacy of your accepting Christ. Are you still following those standards? And according to verse 6, Compromise is a slow process. Because God said, go after a long time, or a long time afterwards, the Lord said to me, go back to the Euphrates and get the loincloth. It's a slow process. As we mix more with the world, as we get ourselves into situations where we accept worldly principles, and we know what's happening to the church all over. We know what's happening with uh, uh, the gays coming into the church. And it's accepted as now normal. That's not biblical. But that's the world. And it's come into the church. Our standards are being compromised. It's taken time. It's taken many years. Our standards are falling. 
And God is telling us, that's what happens to you and to me. It doesn't happen overnight. It's a slow process. Slowly, day by day, we are giving in. We are accepting the standards of the world as acceptable. But what happens when we don't obey the voice of the Lord? What happens when we compromise on these standards and don't do the purposes of God in our life? Turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 11 and verses 3 and 4, where it is written, For thus says the Lord God of Israel, Cursed is the man who does not obey the words of this covenant, which I commanded your fathers in the day I brought them out of the land of Egypt, from the iron furnace, saying, Obey my voice, and do according to all that I command you, so you shall be my people, and I will be your God. The only thing God has asked of us is obedience. Obey. We find it difficult to obey our parents. We find it difficult, or we found it difficult to obey the red light at the traffic signal till ROP said they're bringing in a new rule. Anybody who crosses the red light is welcome to spend time with them. Till then, we still went through the red light. You see, obedience is not a natural nature to us. Obedience is foreign. Obedience is a strange concept. Do we know the spelling of obedience? I don't know. Because God said, if you don't obey me, you are cursed. Strong words, but they're not mine. They're God's. So, the time has come for us to act. What do we need to do? What, what's, what are we supposed to do for God's purpose to be accomplished in our lives? Now, I know that there are defenses. There are defenses that some of you are putting up. And I will mention some of these defenses which do crop up from time to time. Ministry is not for me. It's for the pastors. I'm not qualified to be a minister. I'm not qualified to do different things that, you know, the church does. Now, Paul was taught by a very learned man, man called Gamaliel. Peter did not have that privilege. Who taught Peter? Jesus Christ. Everything that Peter learned was based on his sitting at the feet of Jesus. Paul had other teachings also. So it doesn't matter if you are highly educated or uneducated. God can use every one of us. What God wants is willingness to serve Him. God is not looking for your degree or my degree. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 to 28, this is what we read. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence. So do you think you are a nobody? You are the first person God wants to use. If you think you are a somebody, that's got to be broken down till you become a nobody. And then God will use you. So it's ministry is for pastors is a myth. 
doesn't apply. Because when we are called of God, all of us are called. Number two, I will do ministry later when I retire. Now how many of you intend, young people, how many of you intend staying at home, sleeping, eating, and doing nothing else, till the age of 58, and once you have been declared as a retiree, then you start working. How many of you parents will say that, I will start taking, teaching my children after I retire? We don't. The minute we get some kind of a qualification, we get into a job and we start doing the job. The minute you have a child, you start taking care of that child. You start teaching that child. We don't wait for a retirement age before we do certain things. So why is it that when it comes to ministry, the standard criteria is retirement? It's not a criteria. There is no starting age. There is no ending age. So you can't say that one. You see, how many of you know of the fifth gospel? You heard of the fifth gospel? The Bible has four gospels. And these four gospels record the day-to-day -day life of Jesus. Right? The fifth gospel also portrays the life of Jesus. But it is through your life and my life. Because there are many people who will not read Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Instead, they will look at you and see if Christ is in you. Did Christ talk of honesty? They will look, at it, look for it in you. Did Christ talk of integrity? They will look for it in you. Did Christ talk of hard work? They will look for it in you. Did Christ talk of speaking the truth all the time? They will look for it in you. You are the fifth gospel. You are the walking gospel. Because to many people, the only way they get introduced to Christ is not through what you say, but through how you live. There is a statement that is often attributed to Francis of Assisi. It might be his statement, it might not be. Most certainly preach the gospel. Use words if necessary. Most certainly preach the gospel. Use words if necessary. That means people have got to see you. People have got to see me and say that this is a peculiar nation. A peculiar people. There's something different about this person. Okay? So I will do ministry when I retire. Doesn't work. Number three. My circumstances are not right at the moment for joining ministry. My circumstances are not right. Now that is wrong. To just give you some examples. Take the life of Joseph. He was sold by his brothers, imprisoned illegally, but yet God wanted him there to save a nation. Esther, she lived in a land that hated God. God wanted her there to save a nation. Jonah, groaned in a watery grave. God wanted him there to save a city. Peter, in prison. Yet God wanted him there to save a family. A maid in the house of Naaman. God wanted her there to save one man. John, isolated in the island of Patmos. God wanted him there to write a book.
and with that book to save the world. Jesus, hanging on the cross for no fault of his, God wanted him there to save you and me. Now you and me, God wants us here for somebody. Are you ready? Are you willing? So if you think that you are not ready, your circumstances are not right, it can't be worse than Joseph. It can't be worse than Jonah. It can't be worse than John. It can't be worse than Esther. And yet God used every one of them. Your circumstances, my circumstances are much better than any of those. God can use you and me. Objection number four. I am still waiting for the call. Heard that? I am still waiting for the call of God. Some people have been waiting for 40 years for the call of God. And God has been screaming out, Help me! Help me! Haven't heard it. Now let me tell you a true story. Concerns me. December 2005, I was meeting one of our pastors from church, Pastor Sam Uloto, for the first time. He had just come in then, come in a few weeks earlier. I had not met him till then. And those of you who know Pastor Sam know that he is one tough man. Okay, he stands here, you will shiver there. Oh, he was one tough man, okay. Now in January 2006, a new home cell was to start in our home and I was to be the home cell associate and Pastor Sam was to be the cell leader. And so I was now at Pastor Sam's house to talk to him as to how we were going to organize the cell. And the first thing that Pastor Sam asked me was, he said, tell me about the members who are going to be there in the cell. Basically, he was asking me for their CV. And so I started saying that, well, we have uh, this person, he's working in this company, we have this person, she's uh, working here. He said, no, 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 I don't want all that. I don't want to know anything about where they're working and what they're doing outside. Tell me the names of the persons and tell me in which ministry of the church they are involved in. And then I went through that list and I couldn't find more than two people out of about 12 people who were involved in some ministry or the other. And I, I had this inspiration. I said, no pastor, they are all waiting for the call of God. Okay. He said, rubbish. Turn with me, he said, to the book of Samuel chapter 17. First, First Samuel chapter 17 verse 29 and so I took my Bible and I flipped through it and I got to it and then it says it, part of the verse is and David said what have I done now? Is there not a need? Is there not a cause? Or as it says here what have I done now? David replied I was only asking a question is there not a task to be done? Why was David asking this question? Simply because there was a need to defeat Goliath. The army of Israel was doing nothing about Goliath. The army men whose job is to defeat the enemy were not doing that. They were not doing the task for which they have been purposed. So David comes in. He was not called to be in the army. But he just came and said, isn't there a need that somebody goes and does something against this uh, Goliath? And so I will go. And he went and we know the story. So what Pastor Sam told me then was, he said, there is always a need in the church. There is always a need for people to share the gospel. 
There is always a need that you act different from somebody else. It's not a call. You need to do it. And then he told me something which scared me. He said, three months. In three months, if all the members of our cell are not in some ministry or the other, we'll throw them out of the cell. I got scared. That would mean our cell would probably end up with three people. I said, no, 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 wait, wait a minute, Pastor Sam. Uh, you can't do that. He said, no, three months. So we bargained and made it six months. Okay, so within six months, everybody had to be in some ministry or the other. And believe me, it happened. Every person in that cell was in some ministry or the other. Ushers, praise and worship, Friday school, outreach, something. Okay, every member was in some ministry or the other. Okay, there is a need. The vision Pastor Sam gave us simply was, look around. You have been, you, there is a need all the time. God is calling you. Go to it. Go do it. Okay, so the story of I'm waiting for the call doesn't actually hold very good. Okay. So now, what are we going to do about it? See, now is the time for your godly purpose to be fulfilled. Today is the day of action. It was nice getting the promise. Sister, can I have the promise of the week back? For I am about to do something new. See, I have already begun. Now the question is, when God has started doing something new in our lives, are we prepared to play game with God? It takes two hands to clap. God is ready. Are you? If you want to pick up your spoon to eat your lunch, you need two opposing fingers to pick that spoon. You can't do it with one finger. God is ready. Are you? Now, let me give you some biblical reasons as to why you should serve God. Number one, and there are only four reasons, with that we stop. You are created to serve God. Okay, if you want biblical reasons as to why you should be serving God, here are the reasons. Number one, you are created to serve God. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. Before I formed you in the womb, in the, uh, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Verse 10. See, I have set, I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms. To root out, to pull down, to destroy, to throw down, to build, to plant. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. You are created to serve God. If you have been wondering whether you should be serving God or not, take it from me, this is from the Bible. You were created to serve God. Judas had the privilege of serving God. He threw it away. Peter had the privilege of serving God. He made a mistake, but he turned around. What about you and me today? We have the privilege of serving God. Because we were created for it. Are we going to do it? Or not? That is a question each of us has to answer. Number two, you are saved to serve God. Second Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. 
Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. So, you have been saved to accomplish that which God wants to be done. We are not saved by service. We are saved for service. All the work, good works that you do does not save you and me. But once we are saved, we need to do all those good works. Service. Okay, so you are saved to serve God. Many of us know of this uh, pastor called Pastor Paul Yonggi Cho in Korea. And he has a huge church. Now the story goes that he was a Buddhist. He spurned Jesus Christ. And one day he was lying down in a hospital bed, ready to give up his ghost. He was racked with tuberculosis. And at that point of time there was very little actual treatment available for tuberculosis. His lungs were shot up. He was put in a sanatorium away from the city so that he could at least uh, you know, breathe in clean air. And in that place, a young woman came and ministered unto him. He threw her out a number of times. But at one point, he accepted Christ. From that day, his life changed. He was healed. He decided to serve God. And today we know of Pastor Paul Yonggi-cho. We don't know the name of that young woman. That's not recorded anyway. In fact, he writes that he does not know the name of that lady. So you are saved to serve God. You may touch only one person in your life. That one person may touch a million others. You don't need to touch million people. You, you don't need to get fame and name. But what you have done is written up there. And that's all that's needed. Number three, you are called to serve God. Romans 8:28 says this, And we know that all things work together for good, to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. So you are called to serve God. On 11th September, September 11th, a young man who was an usher in his church was just leaving his home to rush to the metro, to take uh, a metro or subway or whatever they call it in the New York, uh, to rush to his office, which was in the World Trade Center. Now, just as he rushed out of his home, he saw his neighbor fall down the steps. She was an old lady. He knew that if he stopped to help her, he would miss his shuttle. But then, he thought, no, let me, let me help her. And I'll still get the shuttle. So he went, he tried to help her, he got her back into the house. It took a couple of minutes, took about four or five minutes, and then he rushed to the station just to see his shuttle pulling out. And so he had to wait for seven minutes before he got the next shuttle. The shuttle he missed was in the World Trade Center when it collapsed. Had he been on that shuttle, he would have died. Because he missed that shuttle. Why did he miss it? Because he remembered his calling as an usher. Ushers, you are not ushers only on Friday. You have ushers all the time. Friday school teachers are not teachers only on, Friday, on Fridays. Whenever you get the chance, you teach. Members of the praise and worship team, you, are, you don't sing only on Fridays. 
Your job is to encourage all the time. Whichever ministry we are in, whatever we are doing, it's not once a week. It's all the time. That's what we are supposed to be doing. You are called to serve God. And finally, number four, you are commanded to serve God. Exodus chapter 23 verse 25. So you shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and your water. And I will take sickness away from the midst of you. So it's a state command there. You must serve only the Lord your God. Or you shall serve the Lord your God and he will bless your bread and your water. And from your midst he will take away illness and sickness. Okay, God doesn't say, if you wish, you decide, if you've got the time, you may come and serve me. No. That option has not been given to us. God says, so you shall serve the Lord your God. And as you do that, you shall be blessed. President Kennedy once said, Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do. We need to rephrase that in the context of our church. Ask not what the church can do for you. Ask what you can do for the church. You can even rephrase that some more and say, Ask not what God will do for you. Ask what you will do for God. Reynard Bonke, some of you will know him, the well-known evangelist, now often uses the word called submarine Christians to describe people of the church. Submarine Christians are those who surface once a week. On Fridays, in our context. On Saturday, they start going down. From Sunday to Thursday, they are buried at the bottom of the sea. That nobody has any clue that the guy is even a Christian. Your language, filthy to the core. Your behavior, even the world doesn't tolerate it. Thursday evening... Praise the Lord. You see, we can't be like that. We are commanded to serve God all the time. And we've got to, be, we've got to have a God consciousness in us. We can't be submarine Christians. We can't be occasional Christians. A Christian has got to be one who serves all the time. That's what Christ did. And we take his name. Christ served. He said he came to serve. And that's what you and I need to be doing all the time. Now just to put this in final context, let's turn to Romans chapter 14. Verse 10. It says, But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And in verse 12 it says, So then each of us shall give account of himself to God. You are accountable to God about yourself. God is going to ask you, what did you do on Sunday? What did you do on Monday? What did you do on Tuesday? On Wednesday? On Thursday? On Friday? On Saturday? What did you do with the 50 years I gave you? What did you do with the 80 years I gave you? You are accountable. You have to give an answer for that. Okay? And at that point, you can do nothing about the years gone by. So today, you've got to decide what you want to do. Think of that loincloth in Jeremiah chapter 13. 
Do you want to be useful or do you want to be useless in God's kingdom? Remember, you are created to serve God. You are saved to serve God. You are called to serve God. And you are commanded to serve God. I'm going to leave you with these thoughts. Shall we pray? God has told us that He, has begin, he is doing something new in our life. If you want God to do something new in your life, you need to be obedient to His Word. God has said He has begun it already. That means it's happening in our midst. Talk to God. If you think you are the person God is calling to serve Him wherever, in whatever capacity, tell Him so. It's between you and God. It's all about how you want to serve Him. It's all about how you want to be in His presence. While we are still praying, if you know you are here, you are not born again, I want to give you an opportunity to give your life to Jesus. God is ready to take you as you are. He's ready to take you and turn you to a new person, the best that you can be. But you have to willingly say, here I am, Lord, use me. You know you are not born again here and you are in this auditorium right now. Please raise up your hands so that we can pray with you. You want to give your life to Jesus. You want to surrender your life unto Him. God bless you, sir. God bless you. Please keep that hand up. God bless you. As you are raising your hand, please raise your hand. Very well, so that God can see that you are truly willing to surrender your life unto Him. God bless you for doing that. I'm going to be praying with you. I want you to commit yourself unto God. Please pray that prayer in your heart. The rest of us, you are still praying your prayers, and God will use you. I want you to pray that prayer in your heart. You are giving your life to Jesus. And Lord, I surrender my life unto you today. I confess all my sins. From today forward, I will not go back to those things. I surrender my life unto you. Take me as your son today. I give my life unto you, Jesus. I confess you as my Lord and personal Savior. Thank you, Jesus. Father, thank you for your son. Most may I have given your life unto you today. Please accept them. I use their life to showcase your glory. To the world in Jesus' name. The grace never to go back to a life of sin again. Give unto them in Jesus' name. Save their soul in Jesus' name. And write their name in the book of life in Jesus' name. In Jesus' mighty name we have prayed. The rest of us let's trust on our feet. And we open the scriptures. James 4.17 James 4.17 We'll read it and we'll close. Can we have it? James 4.17 Let's read it together. Remember, it is a thing to know what you ought to do and then you do not do it. You know what you ought to do God has told you the department you need to join in church. You refuse to do it. It is a what? And the Bible says no sin. No sinner. We go to heaven. So the Bible says the eyes of the Lord does not behold iniquity. So if you still continue with that sin, 
you stand the chance for your prayer not to be answered. Because you are living in sin. And you know it. Please don't, don't play, what would I call it now? Don't play jabbering with God. You know what to do? Do it. And not live in sin. Let us pray. All the Friday school teachers, please, we meet immediately after the service at the Bible Society. Friday school teachers, all please. Father, we thank you. We give you praise for today. What a wonderful day. Thank you because you have a purpose in heart why you called each and every one of us. None of us was sent to this world by you without an assignment to fulfill. But when you said, go ye and preach the gospel, you told every one of us, every Christian is said to go and preach the gospel. Lord, we pray the grace to obey this great commandment. We receive that grace afresh in Jesus' name. Every one of us serving you, the grace to serve you the more, we receive in the name of Jesus as many that are yet to take that step to serve you. You said they are, still, they are living in sin. But this morning, we receive grace for everyone to take that bold step to begin to serve you with evidence that yes, I am serving you in this area. Lord, let that grace be released unto each and everyone in the name of Jesus. As we go this week, do something new. In our life in Jesus name Do something glorious In our life in Jesus name Do something wonderful In our life in the name of Jesus For everyone traveling this week We declare safe trip in Jesus name Safe trip in Jesus name For everyone that will be coming back from their leave this week We pray you will bring them back safely In the name of Jesus when we all come back next week, we shall come with testimonies in Jesus' name. Thank you, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed. The grace together in fellowship. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us now and forevermore. Amen. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our lives. And we shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Amen. Holiness and peace. Go in peace in Jesus' name.